if you can, would you stand, please? And let's read Ephesians chapter 6. Let us start in verse 10. And I hope you're trying to memorize these verses as we are walking through. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. You may be seated. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts will be pleasing to the Lord. So may the Holy Spirit help us. Uh, the Greek army, especially the Spartan army, was very well known. And you have many movies about the Spartan army. And they were, became well known because of their style of fighting. Very deadly, very effective. And two special aspects of the Spartan army is often talked about, especially by historians, and that is the formation that the army had, or we call the phalanx in Greek, or phalanx, they say in English. <laughs> and then also, so the formation, and then their shield, the aspis, the, the shield that they carried with them is very well known. Uh, Plutarch, he was a Greek historian and philosopher, he tells the story of this mother telling her son as the son is heading to battle. And the mom tells the son, you come back, son, either with the shield or on the shield. And what she meant is, don't ever come back without a shield. You either come back alive with your shield in your hands, or you come back dead on top of that shield as they bring you home. But never come back without a shield. Why? Because to leave your shield behind implied that you were a coward and you're just releasing your equipment in order to run away as fast as you can to save your life. So it was very important, the shield. Uh, sometimes you think the shield is just a personal protection, but actually the shield protects the other ones also. Uh, not only the Greek, if you think about the Greek army, their shield was a way of protecting the other man on the side, and the Roman shields also were, that's why it was basically a door where they would put together and put on top so they could cover the whole army with those shields. And it was vital. As you read, shields were vital for any army, for any battle. Having the right type of shield in battle could mean the difference between life and death. So life and death of the whole army depended on the shield. And it's this very important aspect in the, in the life of an army that Paul is not, now is going to explain to us that we have a shield 
not the Greek or the Roman shield, but the shield of faith that we have in Christ Jesus. Amen? And what Paul is doing here, that's important for us to remember as we come to Ephesians 6, especially verses 10 through 20, Paul now is bringing to conclusion the whole letter from chapter 1, verse 1, until chapter 6, verse 9. Paul is bringing together all the major concepts that he had in the letter. And we see that by the repetition of vocabulary that Paul has in verses 10 through 20 when you compare with the rest of the letter. So all the words and the vocabulary that Paul is using here, he used earlier, meaning now he's bringing back in a summary and expanding a little bit more. So many of the words that you have Paul already used earlier, and that helps us to interpret what he means by these parts of the armor as we go back to Ephesians and see how Paul is using the same words, okay? So what Paul is doing here, he's reminding those Christians that, yes, you are in Christ, you have the victory, the victory has been inaugurated, you have all the blessings in Christ, but do you remember? Remember? There is a time between inauguration and... And what? Consummation. Inauguration. Yes, you are in Christ. You have all these blessings. Christ is our victory. But it has not been consummated yet. We are waiting. Therefore, there are battles to face. I like what Frank Thuman writes. He says, Although the victory is sure, believers must still defend the position that Christ has won for them against the last Desperate attacks of the devil and his malevolent allies. God certainly has struck a fatal blow against the rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers of this present darkness. But the flaming arrows of the doomed regime continue to assail God's people. Yes, they're doomed. But remember, just like... Remember the, the metaphor of D-Day and V-E-Day? One year in between and a lot of casualties in between that. The same thing. Yes, he's doomed. Remember Hitler, when he knew that his defeat was certain, he went with even more cruelty against his opponents. And the same with Satan. And so, as he says here, the flaming arrows of the doomed army continue to assail God's people. And it's against these flaming arrows that Paul now is going to tell us about the shield of faith. So we saw that the main call is to stand, and then how we are going to stand as an army is by, then he told us, putting the belt, remember, the belt, the breastplate, we saw the shoes, and now we come to the next part, and that's the shield, the shield of faith. So let's see what Paul says here, verse 16, Ephesians 6, and he begins with, In all circumstances, in all circumstances. The NIV has, in addition to all this, and the Holman says, in every situation. And that's, the, the Greek idea is exactly that. Is that, hey, all the time, all the time you need to have this armor with you. You need to have this shield in all circumstances, not something special for a special situation or for a rare occasion. No, all the time you need to have this armor with you. And we need to, have, we need to put on Christ every single day, amen? And you know what? Sometimes you wake up, you wake up and you're not feeling like you're in a spiritual warfare. 
There, there, there are mornings you wake up, it's all good, the sun is shining, coffee is made. Especially for those who don't have little kids. For those who have kids, you know, every morning is a spiritual warfare. <laughs> if you don't have little ones, you might wake up and feel like, wow, life is so good. And you forget that you have an enemy. He's always thinking how to destroy the church. Because, remember Revelation 12, his time is short. And he's angry against the church. Therefore, Paul says, in all, in all circumstances, take up this shield. Carry this shield all the time. You go to sleep, you sleep with the shield. You wake up, you have the shield. Because it's Christ. We need Christ on us all the time. Amen? Uh, the, the, the word that Paul uses here for shield, thureos, uh, he's using the Greek word thureos. It's interesting because uh, the, the Greek word for door, thuras, thuras, is very similar because the shield, the, 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 the Roman shield was basically a door. And that was a massive shield that they would use. But throughout the scriptures, if you go through the Old Testament, you see over and over and again the reference to shields because it's very important for armies to have shields. So, for example, in 1 Kings chapter 10, we hear about the wealth of Solomon. And, and it says that King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold. Oh, he would prepare his arm with shields of gold. That's so awesome. Or in Nehemiah 4, remember they are building the wall and they're being persecuted, and you have people with shields protecting them. It's part of any warfare to have shields to protect. So if you go through, you get a concordance, and you just put shield or shields, and you're going to see many references in the Old Testament to shields. So just to see how fundamental that, w- that was in warfare. But as we come to the shield that Paul is talking about here, is that, as I said, it's not the Greeks, not the Roman. It's the shield of faith. That's what Paul is telling us. But the, the problem here is, what does it mean, the shield of faith? The shield of faith. You see, the Greek construction could mean multiple things. It's ambiguous. It could be the shield as the faith, with a, a definite article. The shield of the faith. It could be the shield of faith, believing, trusting. It could be the shield of faithfulness. Maybe the believer's faithfulness. It could be the shield of faithfulness referring to Christ's faithfulness. So all these things are, and they're very applicable and biblical. So for example, if we see the shield of the faith, what is the faith? The faith with the definite article there is not trusting, but the faith in the scriptures refers to the gospel, a body of sound doctrine. That's very important, brothers and sisters. The faith means what? The content of the gospel, sound doctrine. So, for example, you have right there Jude, verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to fight. Do you see the military word? To contain for what? Not faith, but the faith. You're not contending for faith. But the faith implying what? Sound doctrine. That's why he's going on and then he ex- talks about the false teachers coming to the church and trying to pervert the, the faith. Another example that's similar to Jude in Philippians 1.27. Paul says, look at the military context also. 
Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, in striving side by side for what? The faith of the gospel. Sound doctrine, sound teaching. Okay? Or in Galatians. And you see the parallel here between preaching the gospel and then preaching the faith. Paul says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. And then he goes on to say, They only were hearing it said, that He who used to persecute us, that referring to Paul's salvation, is now preaching the faith that he wants to try to destroy. What is Paul trying to destroy? The preaching of the gospel, right? The sound doctrine. And now he's preaching that. Or uh, Ephesians 4, 5, Paul says, For there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. What is this one faith? One body of sound teaching delivered to the church. Okay, so you start seeing how... Or 4.13, Paul says that Jesus gave pastors to the church to equip the saints for the ministry until we all attain the unity of what? Not unity of faith, but unity of the faith. Unity in sound doctrine. Okay, so you see how it could mean the faith as the shield of what? Sound teaching. And as we are going to see, sound teaching protects the church. So it's a biblical alternative. I, it, I'm not trying to play the easy one and just giving all these different things. It's just we cannot be certain because Paul, in Ephesians, he used all these different ways of expressing the word pistis or pistos, faith, faithfulness, the faith. Another one is Christ's faithfulness. So faith in Christ means that we embrace the faithfulness of Christ. To have faith in Jesus, to amen, to embrace, to make my own, the perfect faithfulness of Jesus. Jesus was faithful where Adam failed. Amen? Adam failed. Adam was unfaithful. Jesus was faithful. According to Revelation 19.11, the name of the one riding the white horse is what? Faithful. He's the faithful one. So, it's Christ's covenantal loyalty, His covenantal faithfulness that shields us, that protects us. Amen? So, the shield of faith could... And I believe that's the most precious one, is the faithfulness of Christ. You're going to expand more there, but I just want you to see that. And also we could say that the act of faith, believing, is a shield, and the Christian's faithfulness is a shield also. So, some, interpret, some are going to interpret the shield of faith as the Christian trust in Christ. And that is, faith, believing in Jesus, believing Christ's promises, is a shield against the promises of the world. And we see that our faithfulness. So, for example, in, in Ephesians 1.1, Paul says, To the saints who are in Ephesus, and what? Are faithful in Christ Jesus. So, you see, he's using the same word here, but for Christians' faithfulness. In Ephesians 3.6, that's a very important passage. Paul prays, he's praying for the Christians there, that according to the riches of God's glory... He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through a... And now he's using faith as trusting, believing. You see how Paul used different, in different ways the same word? 
so all the alternatives above are very fitting and I would not say that one excludes the other and I'm not trying to play the easy game here just putting them all together I just think that they are all together the faith it's when we hear the faith the, the sound doctrine that the Lord creates faith in us and that faith is faith in Jesus the faithful one and faith in Jesus, the faithful one, brings us into unity with Jesus, union with Jesus, and then we start walking faithfulness. So, uh, it's all together there somehow. Okay? Uh, so, that's what I think about the shield of faith. It could be these four alternatives, and they all are wonderful. And if you pick just one, that's completely fine. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to be upset with you. But don't be upset with me, because I believe the four are very fitting for the church. We're going to see more about that. So let's look at our enemy here. The enemy. Paul says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of whom? The evil one. Remember verse 11, Paul presented our enemy. Do you remember the name there? The schemes of whom? The devil. And now the, he tells us that he has another name and his other name is the evil one. Remember this. Just like God, God has many names. Why? All the different names of God express the different attributes of God. And Satan also, he has different names that express the different nasty attributes of Satan. So Satan is known as Satan, the accuser. He's known as the diabolos, the devil. He's known as the serpent. He's known as Leviathan. He's known as the dragon, one who is always ready to devour. He's known as Beelzebub, the king of the, the demons. So he has different names to express his... Nasty character. But here he's called the evil one. The Greek word poneros implies something or someone who is wicked, evil, bad, morally corrupt, worthless. And that's one of Jesus' favorite words for Satan. He, he often calls him the evil one. The evil one. Why? Because he embodies all that's evil. Think about evil. Evil is the completely opposite of what? God, goodness, something beautiful, something loving, amen? Righteous is the opposite of all those things. That's what evil is. And that's what he embodies. He embodies all that's evil, perverse, unloving, unrighteous, ungodly. And he says that this evil one has diabolic arrows. Look at that. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And in ancient warfare, remember in ancient warfare, if you watch movies about wars, old wars, you remember seeing those scenes where they have the arrows. And in the arrow you have, the, the point of the arrow was often had a clump of fiber, and that clump of fiber, they'll dip in, in, in pitch and then set on fire and then shoot against the enemy. And once you think about the, the air with the flame, it goes up and then it falls. And it falls with speed and power. And as soon as that thing hits, that creates havoc. And that's all we see happening here. Those fiery arrows 
are coming from Satan. These arrows, these darts are crafted, they are made, they are built with much hate. These arrows, they are conceived in the womb of hell, in Satan's own heart. So there is nothing good, there is nothing loving, there is nothing gracious about these arrows. Actually, they come filled with evil. But the problem is that they come filled with evil, but they come clothed with what? With goodness, pleasure. That's how Satan works. So these flaming arrows are full of temptations. Temptation. And you see, temptation is not evil in itself. Jesus was tempted. The problem is to uh, fall into temptation. And that's why Jesus teaches us to pray. You remember in Matthew 6.13, Jesus says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from whom? The evil one. The evil one. The evil one throws flaming arrows, fiery darts, to incinerate and reduce to ashes the preaching of the Scriptures. So in Matthew 13, we read, Jesus says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. So one of the fiery darts of the evil one is when the fire comes to consume the word of God in people's minds, to remove all that they heard. Satan will throw... Arrows, in order to create the temptation for us to forsake the Lord, forsake the Lord's way, and become more and more in love with richness, wealth. He wants us the temptation of becoming richer and richer. So, Paul says to Timothy, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of what? Evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from what? The faith, the gospel. And pierced themselves with many pangs. Satan will tempt us with fiery arrows to forsake the reproach of the cross in order to gain comfort. Isn't that the American dream for us to be comfort? My life, my well-being, my riches, my retirement. Why? So we can disconnect from the gospel of cross, suffering, discomfort. Satan attacks the church by shooting flaming arrows of false teachings, bad doctrine. And you think about these arrows come with the fire from hell... Literally to consume and destroy the church of health, healthy teaching. You see, doctrine in the Bible is either healthy or unhealthy. And just like Paul says, bad teaching is just like a gangrene, it's just like cancer. And you think about it, it just consumes whatever is good in the body. And that's what Satan tries to do in churches, in families. He tries to throw those arrows. And comes with a teaching that's very, very nice to our ears. Ah, that could not come from hell. And it's actually coming from hell. False teachings. And suddenly start consuming, destroying. How many churches were destroyed by the arrows of false teachings? 
destroying churches, families. The evil one unleashes, unleashes persecution against the church, and the persecution tempts the Christians to walk away from the church. That's what happens. So he sends the, and we know that through the book of Revelation, how Satan is often trying to destroy through persecution. And he throws the flaming arrows in order for people to, once, once you're being persecuted, you're going to accept anything that's going to kind of avoid persecution. That's what's happening with the churches in Revelation. They're being persecuted, so suddenly they're taking the teachings, they're going to say, okay, that's okay. That's okay for you to worship Caesar and worship Jesus. Jesus understands that. He's not going to be offended with that. It's okay for you to live a life in the church and a different life outside the church. So, to avoid persecution. And, and that's what Satan wants to do. Also, another flaming, flaming arrow of Satan uh, is through relational. I don't have here. Let me see if I... No, I don't have here, but through relational conflicts. He loves to set relationships on fire with hate, disloyalty, morality, bitterness. We saw already in Ephesians 4 how Paul said that unforgiving hearts, hate, anger can give the devil a, a foothold to destroy and consume that. So relationship Relationships are consumed and destroyed by this fire of hate, immorality. Hebrews 12 says, Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, 15, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And then he says, That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, and by it this root of bitterness, many become defiled. So Satan loves to set hearts and churches with the flames of bitterness to destroy those relationships. Our enemy shoots flaming arrows with accusations, lies, deceptions to set our minds and hearts on fire with depression, oppression, and despair. He loves doing that. So as we were singing earlier, for still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. And that's why we need Jesus to protect us. That's why we need a spiritual armor to defend us. That's why Paul says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. And he says, In all circumstances, Take up the shield of faith with, with, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And he's picturing a shield that can now extinguish the flaming, the fiery arrows coming. And you know, in, in ancient times, they would get the shield and they would, put the, they would cover the shield with leather. Leather, and before going to battle, they would soak the shield, the leather, in water. So the, the leather was soaking wet, why? So when the fiery arrows come, that soaking leather would somehow extinguish the flames. That's the, the purpose behind. And since we are in a spiritual warfare, we need a spiritual shield to extinguish a spiritual fire, not natural fire. Amen? And that's what the Lord gives us, the shield of faith. So I just want to finish here by going briefly through the 
The four things I believe that the shield of faith is for the church. The first one, as I said, the shield is the shield of the faith. The shield of the faith. That is, sound doctrine will protect the church. There is a reason why so much of the New Testament speaks of protecting and promoting sound doctrine in the church. Look at Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, verses 12 through 14. Paul, Paul is saying that the Lord Jesus, they ascended. He ascended as victorious king, commander, and then he gave gifts to his church. And one of the gifts is the gift of pastors, teachers to the church, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of what? The faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may, lo- may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So Paul is saying that this faith here, the sound doctrine, will cause the church to grow, unity in the faith, maturity in the faith, sound teaching, Sound doctrine will help the church to grow, becoming mature, and thus not be tossed to and fro by the enemy's schemes. Ah. So, the faith is a powerful shield. In Acts 14, look at Acts 14, verse 21 through 22. Remember, Paul was just stoned. Some believe that he was pretty much stoned to death right there. And then he's brought out, and, and then it says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city, and had, many, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Look at that. He's strengthening the souls of the disciples. And look at how they encouraged the church. Encouraging the church to continue in the faith. That's how they're strengthening the church to continue firm in the gospel, in sound doctrine. Why? Because they are going to be persecuted. And the temptation is just to embrace any false teaching that will somehow relieve that persecution. Paul says, no, no, no. Keep going. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Paul is wrapping up the letter to the Corinthians and he says, Be watchful. Stand firm what? In the faith. Stand firm in the sound doctrine. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. So sound doctrine will protect the church. It has protected us. Amen. And will continue protecting us. That's why we prioritize sound teaching in this church. We prioritize sound doctrine. We prioritize deep theological sermons and studies. Why? Because that unifies us in the faith. Keeps the church strong. Let me tell you, and then when families in the church go through suffering, through persecution, it's that sound doctrine that preserves us. It's when we lose a beloved one, it's a dear one by death, and the temptation is to kind of embrace false doctrines that will bring some sort of relief. And no, it's the sound teaching that keeps us strong, trusting God's goodness, His faithfulness, His providence. Amen? So we need that. Also, the shield as our faithfulness. Not only the faith, but our faithfulness. 
The Bible is clear that faithfulness to God protects us from any evils. Amen? I have heard preachers say, Are you kidding me? That our faithfulness is any shield against Satan. I believe it is. The Bible is very clear that walking faithfulness to Christ will protect us from many evils, from many harms. So, for example, uh, Proverbs. Let's see if I have here. Proverbs 16.27. Or Proverbs 6.7. Sorry, it says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes and not be burned? And this fire here is the fire of sexual temptation. To be sexually immoral. And what the author is probably saying, fear the Lord, walk in the fear of the Lord, and you can extinguish that fire of temptation. Walk in faithfulness to God's commandments, and you will extinguish that temptation, sexual temptation. That uses the language of fire here. Also, we see in Proverbs, it says, a worthless man plots evil, and his speech, his words, are like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisper separates close friends. Or Proverbs 26, 20 through 21. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisper, quarreling ceases. A charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire is, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Meaning, once you walk in faithfulness to God, when you are walking faithfulness to God's commandments, once you are not slave to our feelings, our desires, we will have a shield against the desire to gossip, bring division, spread fire in the church through our words. So faithfulness to God's command will protect us. Amen? As has been protecting us. Similarly, James says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. So, faithfulness to God will help us to extinguish the fiery arrows of Spreading lies, slanders, divisions, gossip. Amen? And also faithfulness. I believe faithfulness is a wonderful shield when Satan tries to bring accusations against us. Man, when you put your head on your pillow and you know you have been walking faithfully with God, it doesn't matter what other people are saying and thinking. You know those who know you know that you have been walking faithfulness. And who cares about these lenders that they're throwing at you? The fiery darts they are coming. The walking of faithfulness is indeed a shield to our character. I can go and sleep in peace because I know I have been faithful to my God. So, John says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. And here he's referring to the eternal touch, a touch that will eternally damage someone. And he's saying, when we are faithful to God, when we walk in faithfulness, the faithful one will keep us safe, protecting us. 
So our faithfulness as a church, as we walk in faithfulness, as we encourage one another, encouraging Nestor, Ruth, encouraging Joseph to walk in faithfulness to God is a shield for our church, for our lives. Amen? That's why it's so important. Uh, Third, not only faithfulness as a shield, but trust in God. Faith, the act of believing and trusting is a shield. The Bible is clear that our trust in God's promises is a powerful shield against the diabolic arrows. So, for example, in 1 John 5, 4, we read, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Our faith. Our trust in God's promises in Christ. Faith, brothers and sisters, the Hebrew word for faith is to amen. To amen is to make my own. When you say amen in a prayer, you're saying, yes, I agree. I embrace. I make it my own. And that's faith. Faith is not this... uh, Sometimes we think that faith is just this weird thing that we can't uh, understand. No, faith is embracing God's promises, is making my own. That's, that's why we are united to Christ by faith. Why? Because I embrace Him. I make it my own. I say, yes, it's mine. So our amen, our possession of God's promises in Christ protects us. Amen? Taking hold of God's word is a mighty shield for the church. Spurgeon said, when temptation to love the world comes in, then faith holds up thoughts of the future and confidence of the rewards that awaits the people of God and enables the Christian to esteem the reproach of Christ greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. Amen? Amen. Believing, trusting God's promise is a wonderful shield for our church. And last, and that's the most important one, I believe. Yes, the faith is a wonderful shield. Faithfulness is a powerful shield. Faith is an incredible shield for the church. But nothing compares to the faithfulness of Christ. Christ Jesus must be ultimately the shield that we need. Amen. Shields were so important as a defensive weapon. If you think about shield and protection and defending someone, the shield became a metaphor for protection. So oftentimes throughout the Old Testament, God is called what? A shield. God is referred as a shield. So to Abraham, he says, fear not, Abraham. And Abraham is in fear. He just had a massive battle against different armies, and he's by himself. He's fearful. What's going to happen now? Are they going to come with more soldiers to attack me? And the Lord says, fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. I will protect you. Or Deuteronomy 33. Moses Final words, as he's declaring his blessing upon Israel. Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help. He is the shield of his people. Oh, I love Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O God. And how he finished Psalm 84, verse 9. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. Kings in ancient Near East were considered as sun. Why? Because the sun spread its rays. And as a sign of protection to you, the sun is coming. And as the, the rays of the sun spread throughout the whole kingdom, so the king also spread his arms protecting the kingdom. And as a shield also, as 
his protection for his people. And that's how he sees Yahweh, the Lord. He is the shield. But not only the Lord is a shield, but the Lord also is pictured carrying a shield in battle. So, for example, in Psalm 35, it says, Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. He's asking the Lord to take up his shield and come to fight. In Psalm 76, verse 3, Yahweh destroys the shields of his enemies. In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. His abode has been established in Salem. His dwelling place in Zion. There he broke the flashing arrows, the shield, the sword, and the weapons of war. That's the God that we have and that we worship. But ultimately, Jesus is the faithful one. Think about the shield of faith, the faithfulness of Christ who protects us. One of God's attributes is his faithfulness. So when God is revealing himself to Moses in Exodus 34, 6, says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, Elohim. A merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding, abounding, not stingy, not stingy, abounding, overflowing in chesed and what? In faithfulness. The psalmist oftentimes declared that the faithfulness of God reaches to where? To the heavens. We are just seeing great is thy faithfulness. Great, great. It's gigantic. We cannot measure his faithfulness. And his faithfulness is beautifully displayed in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus conquers Satan through his faithfulness. Think about Jesus as he's fighting, as he's walking. Or think about even before his birth, as he is in the womb of Mary. Picture in the womb of Mary, that baby as a warrior. And he's about to be born, to be a warrior. And he's going to fight Satan, and he will fight Satan wearing the shield of faith. His faithfulness towards his father. He's the faithful one. In Psalm 35, we read, Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of your shield. Rise up for my help. And the answer to Psalm 35 is what? The coming of Christ Jesus. Rise up, Lord. Fight for me. Take up your shield. And then what does Jesus do? He comes. He rises up. And He takes the shield of faithfulness. He is the faithful one. And it's beautiful when you come to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 3 and chapter 4. Towards the end of chapter 3, beginning of chapter 4, in Luke chapter 3, you have the genealogy of Jesus from Jesus to Adam. Huh. And ends with Adam, the son of God. We know that Jesus is the son of God. So all Luke is doing, he's contrasting the two sons of God. And the next story is what? The temptation of Jesus. Why? Because he's showing here how this greater Adam, the second Adam, was faithful. He was faithful where the first Adam was unfaithful. And he was faithful in the same attack of Satan. And he holds forth the word of God, the faith. And he shows himself faithful to the Lord. Jesus was perfectly faithful, perfectly amening, 
and conform to his father's nature. So Jesus is our shield. He is the one who can protect us and who will protect us. We're singing, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of all the guilt within, what do I do? Upward, upward, upward. I look and I see him there protecting us. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, Nothing in death, life, among angels, principalities, powers, in the present, in the future, in heaven, above, the depths, below, any created thing can separate us from the love of God. What? In Christ Jesus. He is the shield who protects us. In Christ. The shield of the church is first of all Jesus Christ. The faithful one. The one who faithfully intercedes, protects, feeds and guides his church. Amen. In John chapter 10, he says that he's the good shepherd. And the good shepherd what? The good shepherd what? Shields, protects his flock. And he says that he's the door. And the Greek words are very similar to door and shield. And he is the one who protects his sheep, his flock. Spurgeon said, Oh, what a shield is God for his people. He wards off the fiery darts of Satan from beneath and the storms of trials from above. While at the same time, he speaks peace to the tempest within the breast. Psalm 91 says that he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, he who enjoys the presence of the Almighty, the Lord will cover you with his feathers. Under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Psalm 91.4 So, may we as a church, may we have the faith as a shield. May we always strive and contend for the faith together as we have been doing. May we have faith in Jesus, faith in His promises as a shield. May our faithfulness be a shield, our walk in holiness, but ultimately, may Christ Jesus be our shield. Because if He's not our shield, we are lost. He's the only one who is perfectly faithful and the perfect shield to protect us. And you know, you have experienced today in your lives how His faithfulness has, faithfulness has been a shield protecting us, preserving us. And that doesn't mean that the flames don't come. Even with the shield, you can see those flames, you can feel the heat, but will not harm us and damage us. Amen? Oh Lord, how majestic is your faithfulness. You are indeed abounding, rich in faithfulness towards your people. Thank you for Jesus, the faithful one. Faithfully saved us. Faithfully preserves us. Faithfully protects us. And help us, Lord, as a church, because we are united, we are in union with the faithful one. Help us to walk in faithfulness towards you, Lord. Help us to be a church that is faithful to you, a church that loves to obey your commands. So help us. Thank you for speaking to us. You are indeed our shield. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.